Somewhere deep within, each of us desires an inner flow of peace and power that transforms our daily attitudes, relationships, and life decisions. Welcome to the Peace and Power Podcast, where we discover how the living Jesus offers the flow of that peace and power in our everyday experiences. With the Bible as our guide, here is Dr. Jim Coleman with today's Bible Talk. A few years ago, my primary physician recommended I go to a dermatologist to look at a spot on my skin. So I did. After we each introduced ourselves, the dermatologist asked, So you have had some sunburn over the years? Yes, I said, more than my fair share. He looked over me for a couple of minutes and then determined I had nothing concerning at the time. You know, he commented, most people want a good tan. Tans look great from a distance, but after a few decades, they don't look so good up close. He then recommended I have annual checkups, and a couple of weeks ago was my yearly appointment. After I'm seated, he turns on a bright light, and he leans his face down close to my skin, examining any blemishes that look suspicious. He has the skill of up-close examination, up-close inspection. Jesus also had the skill of up-close inspection, not for examining skin, but for examining people. Jesus knew the difference between how someone's life looked from a distance and how it looked up-close. Jesus examined motives, examined the heart. He examined deep brokenness. He was an up-close Savior. If we don't want a closely examined, a closely inspected life, we don't want to be a disciple of Jesus. There is a scene in Mark chapter 11 that is very helpful to us in knowing how Jesus and what Jesus examines. It reveals how committed Jesus is to closely inspecting our spiritual lives, examining our brokenness, and then offering his forgiveness and a new power for living. My dermatologist has no intention to hurt me by closely examining my skin. No, he wishes to help me, to expose any threats to my health, to move me into the path of healing. And Jesus has the same mission spiritually for my life. Jesus closely inspects and examines my spiritual life to bring me wholeness. So, Hear this dramatic story from Mark chapter 11, verses 11 through 18. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the twelve disciples. The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. 
and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, The scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began plotting how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem with his disciples for the Passover. We see on the day of his arrival in the evening, Jesus did have time to briefly do what all Jewish visitors to Jerusalem desire to do first, visit the temple. We read in verse 11, So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the twelve disciples. Mark begins this scene with a simple statement, So Jesus came to Jerusalem. But now we know how solemn that statement is. We know that never again in his earthly ministry will Jesus leave the vicinity of Jerusalem. Today is Monday of Holy Week in this scene that Mark is unfolding for us. And on Friday morning of that week, Jesus will be crucified. You notice Mark's description. After looking around carefully, Jesus saw what was going on in the temple. He observed closely what the merchants were doing, what the religious teachers were doing, what the priests were doing. In Jesus' day, the temple in Jerusalem was a not-yet-completed construction project of Herod the Great. The difference between the common village buildings and the temple was like the difference between your home and a skyscraper. It was an architectural wonder. But for the Jews, the temple was much more important than defining the skyline of Jerusalem. It was central to Israel's worship. And this is what Jesus is looking around carefully, in Mark's words, about. Is the temple being used for its purpose? Recently, I heard a popular speaker say that several years ago, she and her father visited a well-known tourist attraction, but they didn't want to pay for a ticket to enter the attraction. So they went to the parking lot, got out of the car, and took a picture, a selfie, of them standing with the attraction in the distance behind them. They got into the car then and left. (laughs) They had their photograph. Jesus is not taking a selfie at the temple. Even though evening is coming, he enters the temple and he observes its activities. Then, with little daylight remaining, he leaves. He must make the two-mile journey with the disciples back to Bethany for the night. He will return tomorrow. And the next morning, Jesus and the disciples set out to leave Bethany and return to Jerusalem. Verse 12, the next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. Now, actually, in Mark's Greek language, it says he went over to see if he could find anything. So we don't know if the disciples had breakfast before leaving, but apparently Jesus didn't. And from a distance, he sees this fig tree. He heads for the tree, not because he expects to find ripe figs. 
It is now only early spring, not the season for ripe fruit. But it is close enough to spring that the tree is in leaf, which is a sign that small edible buds might be on the tree. They won't taste great, but Jesus is hungry. A firm, unripe peach would not taste great to you, but if you were hungry, you would probably eat it. Jesus walks toward the tree, showing its leafy potential for something edible, a kind of faint promise of something to stop his stomach from growling for breakfast. Verse 13 ends with, But there were only leaves, because it was too early in the season for fruit. Not until Jesus steps up to the tree does he see that it doesn't even have the small buds. And he realizes the green leaves have misled him. They showed a potential for breakfast. But now, on up-close inspection, the leaves don't follow through on that promise. Even more disappointing, since there aren't even any buds, when spring and summer comes, there will be no fruit. There should already be buds on the tree. This tree really has no hope of bearing fruit this season, of ever being breakfast for anyone. A couple of months ago, my family was traveling out of state, and we pulled into a fast food restaurant for lunch. A group of eight or so people were sitting outside, and they were eating a meal. It looked like they had just ordered, and it smelled good as we walked past them. As we approached the entrance, an employee was standing inside the glass door, explaining to a customer standing outside that there was a problem in the kitchen, and they would have to close the restaurant. By the time we got to the door, it was locked. Lights were being turned off in the dining area. On our walk back to the car, still hungry, we again had to walk past the group eating their lunch. In this scene, Jesus, too, knows that he will walk away hungry. Verse 13 ends with, But there were only leaves, because it was too early in the season, for fruit. So he didn't find those buds that might be some kind of breakfast. And this is the pivotal moment in this story. At this moment, what Jesus saw in the temple yesterday afternoon, and what Jesus sees in this tree this morning, come clashing together. In fact, I believe it is possible, given the setting here, that in the distance behind the tree is the temple, that Jesus can see them simultaneously, so Jesus can compare them both. Is Jesus thinking of how the Hebrew prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea and Joel and Micah all spoke of Israel as a fig tree? God's tree, God's people, which God expects to bear spiritual fruit? And yet the prophets do not find Israel fruitful. And upon close examination of the temple the evening before, Jesus didn't find first century Israel spiritually fruitful either. He is headed back to the temple, and there Jesus will show his holy disappointment and even anger at that fruitlessness. But it begins here, for here Jesus will give a preview of his feelings and his actions later in the temple. Verse 14, Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. 
So Jesus passes judgment on the tree. There's no doubt about it. No other way to interpret what he says. And why is this so? Because he is about to do the same action in the temple. There in the temple will not be a final judgment, but a momentary judgment. A judgment based on Jesus' up-close inspection. As Mark describes Jesus re-entering the temple, we get the strong sense that Jesus now sees again, up close, the very things he saw the evening before. And he is not pleased. He is even angered. The first temple activity he is angered about is greed. Verse 15, when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. By his actions, these merchants, says Jesus, have turned it into a den of thieves. Some scholars believe that common practice had been to buy animals for sacrifice, which was commanded by the law of Moses. Jesus is not upset about the sacrificial system, but it seems the practice had been outside of the temple area. And perhaps it was King Herod who had recently allowed the purchases to be made inside the temple area. And we also know that the monetary exchange rate for buying these sacrifices was quite high. Worshippers were being taken advantage of financially, and the holy atmosphere of the temple had turned into an atmosphere of merchandising and of greed. Simply put, Jesus believes this is unscriptural. Scriptural worship, like we see King David describing in the Psalms, is God-focused and Spirit-led. The setting Jesus sees now in this place is merchandise-focused and greed-led. That's why Jesus' next words are, He said to them, the Scriptures declare. Jesus is wanting to define worship the way it is defined in the Scriptures. Then Jesus quotes from the Scriptures, either Isaiah 56, 7, or Jeremiah 7:11 both quote the Lord as declaring my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations so it seems it angers Jesus that people who come to the temple have no space for prayer if you wanted a space for prayer would you rather go to a quiet sanctuary or sit at the end of a grocery checkout line exactly And add to this that in the Jewish tradition of prayer, Jews prayed aloud to God with eyes and hands lifted. They listened to themselves pray. I think worshipers were leaving the temple and shaking their heads, saying to themselves, in there I can't even hear myself pray. And if you and I can't go to church and find a space for private or public prayer, we probably need to look for a different place of worship. Jesus also thinks the temple should be a place, as the prophetic quote describes, for all nations to pray. If you were not Jewish, you had to stop outside of the temple in the court of the Gentiles to pray. Well, the religious leaders had not protected that as a worshipful space either. 
The whole vibe of the temple was one of Jewish elitism over non-Jews. Even though the Lord had said it should be a place of worshipful prayer for all nations, all peoples. So in anger, Jesus disrupts this entire temple scene. He drives out the money changers. He overturns the tables of those who have doves. If the religious leaders had open hearts, they would have seen why Jesus was so angry. And they would have agreed. They would have seen his point and they would have repented for creating barriers to vibrant worship in the temple. But this was not their response. Verse 18, when the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. Why? They feared Jesus' revolutionary power. If public disruptions like this continued, Jesus would get the religious leaders in trouble with the Roman authorities, with Roman political power. And if Jesus' popularity continued, more and more Jews longing for spiritual leadership, authentic spirituality, would turn to Jesus and leave the official religious leaders. Verse 18 points out, but they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. So from the religious leaders' unrepentant hearts, there was really no sure way to hang on to their religious power other than to form a conspiracy against Jesus, which would lead to his death. But Jesus knew of their plot. Jesus knew them much better than they imagined. Jesus knows me knows you much more than we usually like to admit. He is an excellent, up-close inspector. The question is whether we resist up-close inspection or welcome it. Welcome seeing our sins of greed or of unscriptural living or prayerlessness that we may repent. When Jesus inspects our spiritual lives for the promise of future fruit, like he did that fig tree, would he find it? The right response of our heart is to invite Jesus to perform up-close inspections. King David expresses it best in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Make this your prayer today. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Thank you for listening to the Peace and Power podcast, and we invite you to subscribe to hear the next upcoming Bible talk. Again, our website is peaceandpowerpodcast.com, And our prayer is that God's Word has brought you a greater sense of a supernatural flow of God's peace and power in your life.